Good morning. Sorry, I got to get you moving. Nobody cares about what I have to say. <laughs> Come on. Good morning. Glad you're here. Really glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, you need help finding a place for your kids, just uh, walk out there. Somebody will help you. Um, they got some fun stuff going up on, on upstairs, too. So, Really glad you're here. Feels good. Just feels like home around here today. Um, glad to have my wife back home. She's been um, on a trip all week, and I don't know if it's like this in your house, but when Mama's gone, things just ain't right. And uh, she got it all set up for me. Uh, everybody's saying what a great job I did with the with the kids this week by myself. But here's really what happened: I get up in the morning for school and get the kids ready. And I walk into Reese's room, and there in his room, in gallon-sized plastic bags with the day on them, were all his clothes for the day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. She had it all. I go into London's room. All her stuff's out. Everything's all laid out. And somehow I get the props for being the, the hero for the week. But, um, you know, when she comes home, everything just feels right. You know, it just feels right. And I don't know how you guys feel, but um, if, you're, if you're visiting with us today, the kind of the... I don't know, the, the feeling in the room that you're sensing right now may be weird for you. If you're visiting with us and you've not been here, you go, man, these people are just weird. And the truth is there's a little bit of that. You know? um, but part of it is just that feeling that it's home. Um, and what we believe is we, we don't believe that God intends for this to be our relationship with him. What, what this is is us doing life together. So um, when everybody's here, the more people we can pack in here, the more people get to do life together and we get to pray over Bobby Bobby's going in for surgery this week. Um, that's a scary thing. It's a hard thing. And if you have to do that by yourself, truthfully, Bobby, that's, God didn't intend for you to have to go through this by yourself. So this is what this is about. We'll come together. We're going to pray over Bobby at the end. Allison's having a baby, having her first baby. And, and for a while it was like, are you sure, Allison? And now if you look at her, she's having a baby. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's time. You know, it's coming. And that, yeah. That's not, that's not the kind of thing that you want to do by yourself. It just isn't. And her and Steve are going through this. So we're going to do life together, and we're all having a baby. You know what I'm saying? And so there's just this sense of, of family here. There's this sense of um, just doing life together. Um, John Grenier um, just got back from a trip to the prisons, um, and uh, <laughs> Rick likes to say John was in prison. Um, and the truth is he actually was. He said he got uh, a couple hours of sleep a night, three hours one night, I think, and uh, stay in the prison um, and just doing ministry with these guys. You're going to hear me talk today about Jesus um, and his ministry on earth. And one of the things he said was, if, if you want to be close to me, if you want to see what God's like, then go do ministry with prisoners. Um, John got to do that this week. And uh, John's not a man of, uh, of a lot of words anyway, but I saw him today and I said, would you like to talk? And he's like, I'm just not ready. I'm just not. He can't even hardly talk about it yet. Um, Chris went the week before. Um, and different prison, yeah. So they've been in different prisons. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, this is, these are ground, if you, if you guys have been, if you're visiting with us or it's been a while since you've been here, um, what you need to know about New Life is that we are working hard um, to be a church that's not about religion. Um, we feel like that in, in our culture right now, there are too many churches that are about talking um, and about judging and about pointing fingers, and what we want to be doing is feet on the ground, being doing life together, and being Jesus to the community, and that's what we're trying to be. So if you're visiting with us today, if you're kicking the tires on the Jesus thing, trying to decide what's real, trying to decide what's true, um, I want you to know that uh, what we believe is that God has you here today for a very specific reason. Um, those of you who are hurting, those of you who are far from God, you're feeling far from God, um, those of you who uh, are going through things, you feel like you're going through them by yourself, today is the day um, for you to get a deep breath of peace and hope and joy, and we believe that, uh, that God has that for you. So what we do before we start our sermon today is um, just a, a quick word of prayer um, and a good time to kind of take a deep breath. I, I've had some people tell me on Facebook um, and email, I love Facebook and email because you can tell me things you don't want to tell me in person. Um, it really is awesome when we get to talk back and forth about some things. And some of you have said sometimes that this prayer time on Sunday mornings right before I preach is the only time you pray during the week um, or the only time you really pray. And I appreciate that honesty. We want to get to a point where we can pray every time we're hurting and every time something good happens and, and just kind of be in that. But if you're feeling that way today and you've got through an entire week and you realized, I haven't prayed this week. Or maybe you're so, you feel like there isn't a God. Maybe you feel like you're, you're mad at God. Whatever it is, now is the time for you to take a deep breath to get, get your stuff together, um, to kind of line up your priorities, um, to put away some of the anxieties that you've had during the week. Now, we used to say to let it go, but we really know what's happening. When we, when we, let, when we have all these bills in our brain, we have all these things in our mind, we start to worry um, about we can put those away for a minute. We'll probably pick them back up. But what I'm hoping is that your concerns, your worries, all of that, when you do pick them back up, they'll be different. You'll have perspective on them after today. So we want to pray together um, and, and kind of get started today. Um, give you an opportunity to, uh, to be quiet this morning, just for a few seconds, um, and then uh, I'll finish us out in prayer and we'll get started. God, thank you for the quiet of the room. Pray that you would quiet our hearts this morning. You've told us that you would not yell into our lives. You could. And you've told us that you speak in a still, small voice, quietly into our lives. You will not compete with other things that are loud in our lives. So we choose right here, right now in this place to calm and quiet everything else in our lives so that we can hear your voice. Now, I've never heard your voice audibly. But what I do, what I feel and what I hear when you speak is opportunities to move, opportunities for priorities to change, perspective on my life, reminders about who I really want to be and how to get there. Today, God, as we talk about the person of Jesus, not as a fairy tale, not as a cartoon character, 
not as a piece of gold jewelry, but as a real human who walked the earth, who was part human and part God. We pray today, God, that you would speak truth into us, that all the false things that we've heard, all the things that have been made up, all the things that have caused confusion about the person of Jesus today, that you would kill all of those and it would be very clear today. God, I'm praying that today, for the first time, there'd be people in this place who understand who Jesus was and what he did and why he came. And as Chris prayed in his prayer this morning after worship, God, that today would be the beginning of a whole new life for some of us. And those of us who've chosen that new life and have gone back to the old life, God, today, would you move in us so that we're driven back to who you created us to be. And we'll follow you in your son's name. Amen. I love this sermon series called The Story. We're getting closer and closer to the end. Um, this is a book that we're going through um, that basically makes the Bible easier to understand. Come see me afterwards if you don't have one or if you want to know more about it. If you didn't read your, the chapter this week, no problem. I'm going to go through it. Um, and uh, really excited about diving into the person of Jesus. Last week, we did Christmas in April. Um, and uh, it's just pretty fun to, to talk about the Christmas story outside of Christmas trees and sparkly lights and Jesus is the reason for the season signs. Um, and just to kind of get a really good perspective on who Jesus was. If you missed that sermon, um, or if you have somebody in your life who have never really understood who Jesus was, go out to the website, um, send them a link to that, check it out. Um, we had a lot of people last week who made some decisions, a lot of things, um, just the story of Jesus impacted. And as we go through this, this book, we get into a little bit more into who Jesus was and what he did while he was on earth. And truthfully, we, we don't have a whole lot about what Jesus did. We, uh, the Bible doesn't really give us a whole lot of information. It kind of seems like it does because guys like me get up and we talk a long time about the very few pieces of Scripture and the things in the Bible about Jesus. But what you need to know specifically, and if you don't know much about Jesus the person, um, is that, uh, that he was a historical figure and that there are writings outside of the Bible about Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are contemporaries who lived near the time of Jesus. There's one man whose name is Josephus, um, who is a historian and an archaeology, uh, uh, kind of a buff. Those who are into archaeology study a lot of Josephus. He spent time with the people who knew Jesus, and this is a guy who didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but saw something different in this guy. And here's the thing about Jesus you need to know. Even if you don't believe he's the Son of God, nothing was the same on earth after the three years that Jesus spent doing what he called ministry and what his disciples called ministry. Nothing has ever been the same since. In fact, today, all over the world, there are people who are doing what we're doing. They're congregating, they're coming together, they're trying to do life together. Now, many of them, just like we are messing up, we're not doing the right thing all the time, we're We've kind of messed up the message in times, but we're all coming together to celebrate the life of a guy who lived basically who we know about three years of his life. We know about his birth, and we know of about three years of his ministry, and there's not much we know past that. But this guy changed everything in the world. In fact, if you go through the history books now, you'll see um, every time a date is mentioned, you'll see the, the letters B.C., um, if it's before Christ, Jesus, even those who don't believe in him, Jesus set a milestone in history for us to talk about the way that the, the story of life works. 
So the, really, the incredible thing about Jesus, if you, look, if you think of the Bible and you think of uh, the story as the story of all of us, Jesus is sort of the central, the, the, the most important person that has ever walked the face of the earth. Even if you don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, even if you're, kick, you're still kicking the tires on that, just his impact as a human changed the world. And I'll tell you why today. I'm really excited to tell you a little bit about this. Um, but here's what's happened to, to Jesus in our culture. Uh, Nick, one more slide, Tanya. We've done what's called the bait and switch. Anybody seen this photo before or this video? Oh, man. I'm showing my age here, but I love me some Charlie Brown. And this is what happens um, if you watch Charlie Brown. If you haven't watched Charlie Brown, you're going to think I'm old and don't even worry about it. But if you have watched Charlie Brown, you know what happens here. She holds the football out and says, come on, Charlie, kick it. And then he goes to kick it, and she pulls it back every time, and he goes flipping over, and she, he trusts her again. And This is what churches have done with Jesus. And truthfully, I have to say that in my life, I've been a part of that. And if I'm not careful, I'll do it again today. I'll promise you things. I'll get, I'll get you thinking about Jesus and get you thinking about Jesus in ways that, that God never intended. I'll make up things and associate them with Jesus. This is a scary thing, and churches and preachers are doing it all over the world. So what I've been praying, I want to let you know, is that I'm, I don't do that today. I've been trying to make this sermon as simple as possible. I've been trying to talk about Jesus as simply as possible because, truthfully, Jesus' message is very simple, and we've convoluted it. And if we're not careful, we bait people, and then we switch it up, and we confuse people. And before long, we have people all over this community all over this community, who have been to our church here at New Life, another church, one of the somewhere around 2,000 churches within 30 miles of here. Uh-huh. Somebody, that's how many churches are telling the same message about Jesus. And what happens is they come in because they want to hear about Jesus. The Bible says you lift up the name Jesus and people are drawn to him. And it is true. It is absolutely true. People are drawn to him. Some of you came in today because you've tried everything else. And this Jesus has changed history, and he's changed lives before. So you've come in, and if we're not careful, if I mess this up, and if we convolute this thing too much, you'll walk away. And it's happened all over. There are people in bed right now, all over our area, because we've messed this up. So it's a lot of pressure. And I I actually had some people come in early today and pray for me, and pray for you as we hear this today that this becomes simple and that you hear a clear message about Jesus. And I'm just going to be real up front. Usually I save some of my challenges for the end, but I'm going to hit you right now with the challenge that I've got that I want you to be thinking about during my whole sermon that it's going to take us all the way into next week, which is Mother's Day. You've got one week to buy your mommy a present. Okay? It's Mother's Day next week. Um, and when you come next week, here's what we're going to do. Next week I'm calling Surrender Sunday. Um, what a great day for mommy. Those of you who... Uh, who need to give your lives to Jesus. There are so many people in this room that I've talked to. In fact, I told Rick Alexander this morning I was going to do this. Um, I said, next week is our week. I'm going to ask people who have not been baptized, who have never made the decision for Jesus, next week is your week. I'm going to give you one week to pray about it. You've been saying, maybe, uh, what is this? We've been talking. I've been real patient. I'm not patient anymore. Next week is your week, all right? Next week is your week. Bring swimsuits. I'm going to have extra swimsuits. We're going to have stuff here. We're going to have towels here. We're going to have all kinds of opportunities for you. And Rick said, what if we have 20 people? We had 20 people. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, because there are 20 of you that I've talked to that have been kicking the tires on this thing since I've been here. Next week is your week, okay? If there's a lot of people that come down after the service, we'll stay after and just keep 
baptistry wet. If it's just three or four, we'll do it during the service. But however we do it, I want you, if you've been thinking about this decision, if you've been thinking about saying, I want to trust Jesus with my life next week, or maybe today, next week I'm going to push even harder. So here's, here's where I want to kind of take us today. You know, it's funny that uh, jelly, is that what they call it? It's funny that jelly's here today. I, I mean, only in family can you get away with calling a guy jelly. You know, really? But you know what? It's, it's what, what I do in my house, too. Names are so important, aren't they? And because the truth is, if I don't know you yet. I'm, I have a feeling I'm going to get to know you. But the people that know you here call you jelly because they, they love you a little more. They know you a little more. And when they call you by a nickname, but they call you by a different name, it, it means something. It's family, isn't it? And I, I haven't earned that yet. I'm going to. I haven't earned it yet. But in, in my family, it's the same way. I have nicknames for my kids. Um, London, it started Doodle Bear. I have no idea why. No clue why. And it's shortened to Bear. And um, she likes it right now. By the time she turns 15, she'll be going, Dad. Um, Reese, I, I've called Buddy Boy since he was a little guy. It's shortened to Buddy or Bud or whatever. I, don't, I very rarely call them by name. Risha, I call names that you, I'm not going to tell you. And um, <laughs> um, just embarrassed her. And, uh, but I, I have names, and I have them for the people that I'm closest to in my life. And I, I want to let you know that there are a bunch of names for Jesus. Okay? And you're going to see them throughout the Bible. And one of the things that I want to make clear today, it sounds like I'm just kind of imparting information, and I don't want to do that. But one of the things I want to make clear today is some of the names that are associated with Jesus. And I want you to hear them today. And what I want to do is make the story of Jesus clear and the ministry of Jesus clear today. And as we do that, I want to start with Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Listen to this. This is the kind of impact that Jesus made. Remember, we learned last week he was born as a little baby, which most of us are. Um, he was born as a, in, a, in a little crib in the middle of nowhere, um, and people came from all over, and it was this amazing story that we have fairy-tailed, and we tried to unfairy-tale it last week. And then from there, he grew on. We don't know a whole lot about him. The Bible doesn't share a whole lot about him as a young kid. Um, we know that he, he spent some time um, in the synagogue, which was like the church, that he learned a lot. And when he turned 30, everything changed in his life. He decided he was going to do ministry. And he decided that, uh, that he was going to really spend his life just loving people. When I was in ministry, or when I was in, in Bible college, um, I came home one week, and my, my, I was a freshman. I was really, looking back, really naive and really silly. Um, my grandfather was a preacher at uh, Centerton Christian Church for many years, and he was preaching at Centerton off of 67 at that point. And, um, and I came home one, Sunday, or one, one weekend from Bible college, and he said, he said, how's Bible college? And I said, oh, I, I hate it. I just hate it. I just want to go do ministry. I'm tired of hearing about it. I just want to go do it. And I called him Papaw. See, I have a name for everybody. Call him Papaw, and I said, well, Papaw, I just, I'm so tired of it. I just want to go do it. I'd been like a half a semester of Bible college at that point. And he said, well, he's a real slow-talking guy, always had great perspective. He said, well, well, John, took Jesus about 30 years to get ready to do ministry. I think you could take four. Okay, all right, and I did. Um, but it did, 30 years of Jesus' life before he started what we consider his ministry. And when he did, it had this impact on people. And I'd love to, for you to open your mind today, even if you don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Most of you do, some of you don't, and you're kicking your tires. And some of you have said you do, and in, inside you really are kind of shaky on that. I know because I'm one of those people that get shaky sometimes. Um, and, but as you think about Jesus, think about a guy who every time he walks into an environment... He changes the culture. He goes into the religious community, and I love this. I believe this is what he would do in our churches today. He goes into the religious community, and the very people 
that he points at. You know, we do this all the time, churches. Point. Fingers. And when Jesus walks into a religious community, here's what happens all the time. All the church people go, watch this. Jesus is going to go after that lady. Jesus is going to go after that guy. And Jesus is going to go after that guy. You know what Jesus does? He walks right in. He walks right by that lady, that guy, and that guy. And he walks right up to the religious person who's been pointing. And he goes, you. You are in danger of the fires of hell. You know what saying that to a religious person will get you that day? Crucified. That's what caused Jesus to be crucified in the long run. It's that he walked right up to the religious people, which I believe he would still do today, and say, you stop making up rules that God never made up. You stop doing, making judgments on people that are only for God to judge. You stop treating people the way religious people and churches have always treated people, and you watch the way I do it. Now, there were a whole lot of religious people that couldn't do it. Religious, there were a whole lot of religious people, and truthfully, I'm going to be real honest with you about it around here. I've been here six years, and there have been a lot of religious people that left. They just didn't like it. <laughs> they, they want church. They want them. They want, and I, I, they don't like my preaching. They don't like, and I've got it all over. And I get, we get about an average of 350 hits on our website a week of people listening to the sermon. It's like twice as many people are here listening to the sermon online. I get emails and Facebook messages and stuff you wouldn't believe from religious people who can't stand the thought that there's grace out there for people who are broken and that that's really our focus here. And Jesus came into a, a, and this is why I do it. This is what drives me because Jesus walked into one place after another and said, you have it backwards. Those of you who think you are going to heaven, those of you who think you're pious, those of you who are pointing fingers are actually the ones who are in danger of the fires of hell. And those of you who feel farthest from God, those of you who are meek, Jesus stands on a hill at one point and he talks to a group of people who have categorized themselves. Those of you who are broken, those of you who are sinful, those of you who have been categorized as outcasts and as sinful people, you're the ones that I've come for. I've got a message for you. Do you realize how this changed the world? <laughs> because up until now, God was for good people. Up until Jesus... God and religion was for the people who made good choices for a specific sect of people. And so look at this. Luke chapter 4, verse 40. As the sun went down, the people took all that were sick with many kinds of diseases to Jesus. Jesus is drawing crowds, not the kind of crowds you'd want to draw if you were a pop star. You know, we all would love to be famous. And we think of Jesus as famous. He wasn't the kind of famous you'd want to be. People were come to him, the grossest people, the worst people. One of the, if you've been watching the Bible um, series on the History Channel, it's over now, but um, man, find a way to see it. It is amazing the way they tell this story. At one point, Jesus walks up to a leper, and a leper is the worst of the worst, the sickest of the sick at that point. In fact, I tried to think of somebody to compare it to. There's leprosy in our world right now, but not much in the United States. We don't really have anything in the United States that can compare to this, how ugly it is, how awful, how just awful physically it is and they believed at the time that if you touched it if you got anywhere near this it was so contagious that you would be getting it too and leprosy your arms and your your limbs your appendages would would just start to bubble and it was like boils on your face and it was awful nobody wanted to be around them nobody wanted to touch them and all of them were gathering at jesus <laughs> if you're a disciple you're going this is not what i signed up for and you see the disciples going all the sick people come oh yeah, you, you come this way, you know, don't touch me, and where's my rubber gloves? And, and 
All of them lead lepers to Jesus. And if you watch the Bible series, man, this was an amazing scene. I wish I had it on video. You've got to watch it. Jesus walks right up to one of those lepers. And this is, by the way, the way Jesus treats people who, are far, who seem far from God and people who seem gross and people who... This is the way Jesus treats them. We all back away. Jesus walks right towards them. And if you watch the Bible, I love the way... Whoever did this totally gets Jesus. He walks right up to the leper, and you think, he's going he's to grab the leper's hand, and he doesn't. He takes his face in his hands, this leper's face in his hands, and he heals him. You know, all throughout the Bible, Jesus heals people without touching them. All throughout the Bible, he heals people. He'll just say, your daughter, she's sick? Okay, go home. She's good now. He could have done that with the leper. He could have gone, all right, buddy, you're healed. He didn't. He wanted to make this statement that I'm gonna, I want to touch the broken people. If you're in this place today, you feel broken, you feel gross, you feel sinful, you feel far from God, you feel like you're the last person in the world God would want to be close to, I want you to know that not only does he want to be close to you, he runs to you. He wants to touch the brokenness. That's what Jesus does. He put his hands on all of them, and they were healed. Also, demons came out of many people. The demons cried out and said, you are Christ, the Son of God. Can you imagine? You're around this at this time, and you're like, holy cow. I have a faith problem. It's hard for me to have faith. We talked a little bit about that. Some of you do, too. If if I was with a guy and all of a sudden this demon came out and said, that guy is the son of God, it would help my faith. I just would. I'm just saying. I, I would think that this would be an amazing time to be alive and to follow Jesus. You are the Christ, the son of God, these demons spoke. Jesus spoke strong words to them and would not let them speak. They knew he was the Christ. Some of you have asked me in here, this is a whole other sermon, you've asked me the, in here, the, you've said something about a ghost in your house or a demon or a or Satan is somehow, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, by the way, you have been given the power of the blood of Jesus. That means you have nothing to fear. Jesus is, his, every time I think about that in my life, every now and then I've had some fear about demons and about spiritual things, which are very real. I, I've, I remember Jesus going like this. No, you don't, you don't even, you don't even talk. That's what Jesus says to the demons. No, you don't speak without my permission. You don't talk. Bible says, by the way, if you feel like you're struggling with that in your house, anything spiritual, you just say, I've been born in the blood of Jesus, and you, nothing can come close. Jesus goes, no, you don't even talk. You're out. And that's what he does here over and over and over. It changes the world. In the morning, he went out to a desert. The people looked for him. And when they found him, they were trying to keep him from going away from them. Here's what I believe. If you're, if you're a leader in this church, you're an elder, you're a deacon in this church, or you're the minister or one of them, um, and you want to see things grow around here, you know what we do? We come together and we try to figure out how can we get more people to come? How can we get more people to come to church? So we come up with things. I mean, last year we gave away a car. We, we did, I mean, we're doing everything. We, gave, we, 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 we want people here for good reasons. We want them to hear Jesus. But you know when Jesus was there, he didn't have to do any of those things. Look at this. They went looking for Jesus. When we act like Jesus, not when we do a good VBS. VBS is important, but that's not what really draws people. It, not when we do a good mall program. It's important, but that's not what draws people. Not when we put on a good church service. That's important, but that's not what draws people. When we act like Jesus, people come to us. They will come to Jesus. They flock. They look for him. Jesus had to run away from them at times just to get a break. This is the way. The impact of Jesus went. He said to them, I must preach about the holy nation of God in other cities also. This is why I was sent. And so he went around. He, he went all over the area. And he kept on preaching in the Jewish places of worship in Galilee. 
And then he says this thing, and this is how I want to set up my sermon today, and I'm going to move through this pretty quickly. This is one of my favorite pieces of scripture in all the Bible, um, and I could dig into it really deep, but I want to share with this to you today. And if you get, like I do, in a place in, in, by Tuesday or Wednesday where you lose perspective on life again, and you need one of those scriptures to help you write this one down, um, this is from a version of the Bible called the New Life Version. We didn't write it, but I like it. Um, it's called the New Life Version, and I've been reading it a lot lately. It says this. Jesus says, the robber comes only to steal and destroy. When he uses the word robber, he basically means the world, okay? It's, the world comes into your life. You think you want a new truck, and you think that new truck will bring you peace and hope and joy, and every, it will drive your life. You'll be so happy. But when you get that truck, what it really is, it's an anchor around your neck. It drags you down. It hurts your finances. It causes you problems in the long run. In the long run, it will die, and it will destroy some things in your life. If you make it the king of your life, it will destroy. Same thing with your house, same thing with your 401k, same thing with that guy that you think you've always really wanted and when you finally get him, you'll realize this is not what you thought or the girl or however it is. Jesus is basically looking at a group of people and he's saying the world is a robber. If you put your hope and your trust in a robber in the world, you will be destroyed. You, you, you'll be hurt. It'll be brokenness. But he says this. Look at this. I came. This is the reason Jesus came. These kind of statements blow me away. You need to pay attention when you hear this. I came so that they, us, everyone, may have life. A great, full life. You see the word life is mentioned there twice. And that's really, when Jesus said it, he spoke in a language where he only said the word life once. But we, because in English we don't have different words, we have only one word for life really, um, Jesus, Jesus had like lots of words to choose from, and he actually used a word that can mean two different things. The word life that he used was the word zoe. Some of you have heard of babies named zoe. That's par- partially where that name comes from. Of- often they just like it because it's cool, but not, they don't really know what it means. It basically means life, but it me- it's used in two different ways. It can mean physical, tangible life, like touchable live, and it can also mean eternal life. So what Jesus is saying to this group of people and the way they would have heard it is that I came to give you life and life. I came to give you heaven. At that point, everybody was like, heaven, who are you? They didn't really even know who he was. I came to, I am God. I came to give you eternal life, but I also came to make your physical life better. Now, I don't preach a health and wealth gospel, but I believe this. That what Jesus meant and what he does to your life, if you give your life to him and you say, I'm not going to let the robber of the world take away things from me, I'm going to choose to put my hope and my trust and my joy in Jesus. When you really do that, it leads to the kind of life that God intended for you to have from the beginning. And we walk away from it and we go back to it and we walk away from it and we go back to it. But when you engage in that life, it changes everything for you. And Jesus said, I've come. The reason I came is to give you life up there and life down here better. So you're going to live forever, and you're going to live on earth better. I want to be real clear about today. That's what Jesus came for. Next slide. So there's some names that you're going to hear about Jesus. As, and I'm going to go through these real fast. Um, I hate just giving information, but a lot of people have asked me questions about why there are different names for Jesus in the Bible. Part of the reason is because we have, in English, we have a, a small words. We use a word that might mean a lot of things. My poor kids are learning language right now, and I'm realizing there are lots of words that mean like six or eight things, and you have to take it in context. And London will ask me a question, and she'll be like, Dad, what does this word mean? 
Well, it means this. Well, what about this? Oh, yeah, sometimes it means that too. She's like, well, what does it mean? Well, you have to take context. And truthfully, English kind of has worked because it's simple. But there's some things that just don't quite capture some of the things that, that were captured in Jesus' language and in the Greek Um, And that's part of why Greek, the way the Bible was written, is dead, because it was so hard to use that it eventually died. Check this out. Here are some some names for Jesus. The first one you're going to hear is Messiah or Christ. When you hear somebody call Jesus the Messiah or the Christ, it basically means he's the one that God chose from the beginning. It basically means God had a plan from the beginning, and this is the one that God chose. If you've uh, ever seen The Matrix, anybody seen The Matrix series? Neo was thought of, the the key character there was a messianic figure, a messiah. He was the chosen one. He was the one who was going to change everything. So when you see that, um, that's what that means. Um, You'll see Lord, and you'll hear us sing it, the word Lord um, in English in our worship songs. If you're visiting with us, it may sound weird to you that we say that God is Lord. Um, At the time, Lord meant a couple things. It meant sir. You could go up to somebody and, and anybody you were trying to be polite with, you would say, Lord, could you please give me that? Or, Lord, could I have this? And it was just a, a, a nice way of talking to somebody. But it also was used with God, or with Jesus, to refer to somebody who was superior and divine. And so you're going to see the word Lord used. And what we do when we sing it around here a lot, we sing the word Lord in reference to Jesus. What we mean is, God, we want you to lead our lives. We, we, we're calling you the Lord of our lives because you're going to lead us and we're going to follow you. So you're going to see that throughout the story. Son of God and God's son, guess what? Jesus never called himself <laughs> this in English, I mean, in, in, in this phrase. He really never said that. It's said about him. Now, here's what Jesus did do. He called, him, he called God Abba, which means father. And so people looked at that and they said, he is God's son. And, and so there is this sense that, uh, that every time you see son of God, that's kind of what it means. It's a, it's a phrase to say that, that he has come from God. Now, here's what Jesus calls himself, son of man. This is interesting. Jesus calls himself son of man a lot. It's used by Jesus to describe himself and to remind people that he is human. He wanted to remind people because here's what he would do. He would go into a town and he would do these miraculous things. And people would start going, oh, you're God. And he's going, no, Mary. Remember Mary? That's where I came from. I want you to remember that I, I am part God, but don't forget that, I, that God sent me here to be with you, among you. It's really cool. God, Jesus calls himself Son of Man. Son of David, he says this to emphasize himself as uh, part of the, the lineage of David, and he's a king in that way. And the, the Bible in the Old Testament says that the, the Messiah will come from the line of David. And so it's him going back to the Old Testament going, see, God said, and here I am, you know, I'm, I'm from the line of David, I'm a son of David. Savior, you're going to see, is a gracious ruler, somebody um, at this point in history who would, who would, um, would bring food to, to hurting people. If a king or, or somebody in a wealthy position would bring food to people who were hungry, they would be called a savior, somebody who was gracious to them. Jesus became known as a savior with a capital S um, to save us from, from everything. Emmanuel is one of the words you'll hear Jesus um, called, and that is God is with us is what it means. Jesus, of course, means God saves, which I think is cool. Next slide, my favorite ones. Lamb of God is a reference to the, the last lamb that was slain. Jesus is the last sacrifice um, that we needed. The good shepherd, um, the great high priest, which is the advocate between people and God. These are my two favorite. This is where I want to go with the rest of today. Um, they called Jesus rabbi, which was a really neat way of saying that you have something to teach us and a new way of looking at the world that we desperately need. 
You're going to hear that a lot um, when you read the Bible. They're, they call Jesus rabbi. And then the last one is logos. Um, the word logos, I used to work at Logos Christian Bookstore in Bloomington when I was in high school, which was a Christian bookstore. Um, and the, the, the word logos means the word. In fact, John, you're going to read, says, the word, which was Jesus, l- dwelt among us. <laughs> the word, the last word. If you're here today, and this is why I put this in last on the la- list, if you're here today and you're looking for the truth, if you're looking for the one statement that, that beats all statements, if you're looking for the one truth in the world, you found it in Jesus. They call him Logos because he is the word. He is the truth. He is the one statement, the one thing you need, the very last of everything. Next slide. Jesus makes some things clear about the rules. I love this. He says this, don't think that I've come to go away, uh, to do away with the law of Moses or the writings of the early preachers. I have not come to do away with them, but to complete them. Look at this. John chapter 8, verse 11, if you've fallen asleep, you've got to wake up and hear this story. At this point, um, Jesus has made a lot of enemies with religious people and made a lot of friends with hurting sinners. And he walks around, and he sees this woman who has been caught in adultery. And at this point in history, women were thought of as just dirt, basically. They were, they were animals, and they were treated terribly, and Jesus hated that. Um, and when, so when he saw a woman that was being treated even worse than normal, he, he was there quickly. And this woman was brought out on the street, probably in a sheet of some sort, and she'd been caught ha- in an adulterous affair. Now ask me why the man wasn't with her. Because <laughs> in my opinion, he should have been, standing right next to her. Because the, the penalty for adultery at that point from the religious people were that you could be stoned to death. Now I don't know why the dude didn't get stoned to death either. He somehow escaped. But the woman was standing. Legally, she could be stoned to death at this point. And Jesus walks up among them, and he starts writing in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. I'm not sure what he wrote. Probably something from the, from the Old Testament. So he starts writing in the dirt. And these guys, the way they would do it is they started with big stones so that they could knock a person down. That's the way stoning worked. I know this is brutal, but this is the way it goes. They started with the big ones. So the big guys would throw the big stones first. They knock the person down so they can't run. And then the, the people behind them would throw smaller stones until they killed the person. It's a terrible way to die. This was the sentence for adultery. This is what you did. The woman knew, knew it was coming. She knew she deserved it. She knew that this was the law, and she had to obey the law. And she hadn't obeyed the law. She was going to have to pay the penalty. So they just as they're starting to stone him, Jesus comes. And he says, wait. And he draws a line in the sand, and he starts to kind of write. I want, to, I want you to get this picture, because this is Jesus. This woman is standing there with embarrassed, frustrated, has a sheet wrapped around her. And Jesus says, those of you who have these stones in your hand, throw your stones. And they start to go, and Jesus goes, but wait. Look at your stone. And those of you who haven't messed up, the word he used was, or the the word that the Greek uses is amartia, which is missing the mark. Um, Those of you who haven't missed the mark in your life, those of you who haven't sinned, those of you who haven't messed up in your life, you throw the first stone. You take the biggest stone. You throw the first one. And all these religious leaders standing around ready to stone this woman. The woman, I want you to picture yourself as the woman. Maybe, maybe that's not too far from some of us. She had her eyes closed, crouched down, ready for what she knew she deserved. And Jesus says, those of you who are without the sin, throw the first stone. And Jesus stands back, crosses his arms, and waits 
And the next thing that happens is amazing. You hear, if you've got your eyes closed and you're this woman, what you hear is rocks hitting the ground. And people walking away. And when they've all dropped their rocks and walked away, Jesus says this, look at this. Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground. Verse 9, at this, those who began to go away one at a time, the older ones first because they're smarter, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Look at this picture. If you've got the wrong picture of Jesus, if we've screwed that up, if I've screwed that up, erase all of it from your mind and look at this picture of Jesus, okay? He looks at the religious leaders today and says, stop pointing your finger. Stop throwing rocks. Stop it. And if you can't be Jesus, walk away. If you can't get it in your head that you're not here to throw rocks at people, then walk away. Drop it and walk away. And he protects this woman. He surrounds her. And in the end, it's just Jesus and a broken, sinful person who just was going to get what they deserved. And he says this to her. Look at this. Jesus straightened her up and asked her, Woman, where are your accusers? Where are they? Where'd they go? But Jesus knew, and she knew, Jesus wanted her to see where they are. Where They're not going to point anymore. I, I'm the only one that can point my finger at you. She says this, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, Lord, no one, she said. Then neither do I. I don't condemn you. Now wait a minute, though. Won't she just go right back to doing what she was doing before? Maybe. It's not why Jesus was here. What? It wasn't Jesus here to make us good? Isn't that why Jesus came, to make us better people? No. 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 Well, wait a minute now. Isn't, isn't the reason Jesus came, don't we have to, didn't she have to do something? Didn't she have to be baptized? Didn't she have to go through a three-step process? Isn't there a Sunday school class she had to go to first before Jesus said you're not condemned? No. Isn't that too easy? That's pretty easy. Haven't we messed it up? Yeah. Yeah, we have. Now, look what he says to her. Look what he says next. He says, I don't condemn you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Now, go leave your life of sin. Go leave it. Get it out of your life. It's not what leads you to where you think you need to go. This is not the way you want to leave your life. Now, i got to say, if I were her, I'd probably, just like the cigarettes, just like the other things that we have in our life, she's tempted again to go right back to this. But can you imagine the day that she's tempted? The next day she's tempted, she closes her eyes and goes, probably remembers the sounds of those rocks hitting the ground, doesn't she? This is Jesus. He didn't come to make us good. He came to make us forgiven. And when we're forgiven, we want to be good. This is Jesus. Don't let me mess it up for you. Don't you let anybody mess that up for you. This is the message of Jesus. He makes grace very clear. He says this, 
Many of you have heard John chapter 3, verse 16. You've seen it all over the place. Maybe you've never heard it in this context. Then whoever puts his trust in him will have life that lasts forever. You mean, John, whoever obeys the rules, right? No, whoever puts his trust in him. You mean, John, whoever goes through a list of things that the church has for him to do. Well, no, that's what Jesus got really mad about. You mean, John, whoever lives the way he's supposed to live will live forever. No, those who put their trust in Jesus will have a life that lasts forever. For God so loved you that He gave His only Son, Jesus. Whoever puts his trust in God's Son, let's make this clear. Jesus says, how many ways can I say this? John says, I've got to tell you this again. Let's make this clear. Whoever puts his trust in God's Son will not, will not be lost, but will forever have life For God did not send His Son into the world to say it was guilty. If you don't believe me, go ask the woman who heard the rocks hit the ground when she should have been stoned. For God did not send His Son into the world to say it's guilty. He sent His Son into the world to be saved from the punishment of sin. Whoever puts his trust in the Son is not guilty. Whoever does not put his trust in Him is guilty already. Because he does not put his trust in the name of the only Son of God. Next slide. Go on to that next one, Tanya. Band, you guys can come up. I want to give, make this real simple today. And this is the next step. I try to make this really clear. I want to make this not convoluted today. We have messed this up so many times. The message of Jesus when he came is that we have all messed up big time. We all deserve what's coming to us. And if we put our trust in Him, we will be saved. John chapter 3, for surely I tell you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the holy nation of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? I love that. How can a man be born again when he's old? He can't get back into his mother's body, be born a second time. Allison goes, no way, one time, please. (laughs) Jesus answered, for sure, I tell you, unless a man is born of water and of the Spirit of God, he cannot get into the holy nation of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that Jesus came. That whoever, I'm hoping you're a whoever, that whoever puts his trust in Jesus, not in his truck, not in his house, not in his car, not in the president of the United States, not whoever puts his trust in himself, whoever puts his trust in Jesus and gets on the path to walk his way will have life. Not just life. You get this today? Not just eternal life. Not just hold on till it's all over here. But life here different. The next step is to trust Jesus. There's some of you today that go, I don't know enough about... You know what happened throughout Jesus' ministry? Many times people come to him and go, who, who is this Jesus? I came to him for food and somehow he's God. And next thing they know, they're being baptized. <laughs> 
And Jesus goes, just trust me. Sometimes it'll be hard. Sometimes you won't get it. Sometimes you won't believe it. Sometimes you will. But just trust me. Just follow me. Just do the best you can to head in my direction. That's what we're asking you for your next step. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you want to do it today, there's water here, and it's bubbling. It's ready for you. If you want to pray about it, you want to think about it, I'm going to give you one week. Because we're not, we're not promised next week, honestly. But I want to give you the opportunity today. I'm going to go right back there in that corner. If you want to come back and pray with me, do it. If you want to talk about next week and coming and, and doing it then, I would love for you to put your bathing suit in the car. If you've never been baptized, put it in next week. If you've found somebody in your life who needs to make this decision, who needs to take the next step and move towards trust in Jesus, invite them here and pack the swimsuit for them, will you? I love you guys. I don't want to mess up the story of Jesus. Would you let him into your life today? Would you trust him? Stand with us and sing.